Did you know I wrote a book with Cassandra Snow? It's true! Lessons from the Empress is coming out October 1st, 2022 from Wiser Books. Lessons from the Empress is a tarot workbook for creativity and self-care. Self-expression and self-exploration are essential for living a fulfilling life, and the tarot allows for an incredible opportunity for creative exploration. Using the Empress, who is an archetype of creation and abundance, as a metaphor for the journey, Lessons from the Empress takes readers on a journey through the tarot using easy-to-follow magical rituals, tarot spreads, and creativity exercises in a way that will empower you to embrace your true self and express that self to the world. You can pre-order the book anywhere books are sold, and just to make things easy, I've included a link to my uh, bookshop.org shop in the show notes. Happy reading! Hello, and welcome to the Heathen's Journey podcast. I'm your host, Siri Vincent Clough, and I'm so glad you're here. This is the show where I explore heathenry through a queer lens. We will be talking about traditional witchcraft, runes, folklore, and so much more. Join us, won't you, as we journey to the ends of the Nine Realms and back. Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the Heathen's Journey podcast. I am so glad that you are here, and I'm so thrilled with the um, response that I've received from the season so far. Today is our first interview episode, which I am so excited to share with you. But first, I wanted to announce that my book, Lessons from the Empress, is coming out in less than a month on October 1st, which is wild. Um, but I also wanted to let you know that Cassandra and I, um, have pulled together a mini, well, it doesn't feel so mini to me, but a book tour of sorts. Um, we will be doing, uh, several online stops as well as in-person stops if you are located in Minnesota on my website, which is northernlightswitch.com. I have created a new tab, um, a new page that basically lists all of the um, dates, locations, etc. for our uh, for our book tour stops. So that is also um, some information is still coming in. Um, like so certain places haven't, you know, set up the event yet for the uh, some places haven't set up the event yet for the book stop. So, um, kind of keep an eye on that. Um, another really good way of staying in touch with the, uh, book tour is to sign up for my newsletter, which is linked in the show notes. Um, I'll be sending out reminders about that. And, um, tomorrow there should be a big, big list with links and all of that stuff. So, That is all very well and good. Um, I am excited to see you all. I still have not received my author's copies of the book, um, so I am eagerly awaiting those. Um, Yeah, I think that's all that I have to say about the book so far. Um, Yeah, that's it. Um, if you are interested, please pre-order wherever books are sold. I also have a bookshop.org storefront, um, and that actually also has, like, a ton of different, um, books on there that are just my favorites and what I recommend for people who are just getting started with runes or heathenry or tarot or any of this stuff. Um, and so that is bookshop.org slash shop slash Siri Vincent Pluff, I believe. I'll put a link in the show notes. Um, And finally, I am here to introduce our guest today. Um, You have definitely heard them speak on this podcast before, and I'm so honored and thankful to have them return. Lex Ritchie is a tarot reader and folk magician weaving spells for liberation, living in the Great Black Swamp. They believe individual liberation and enchantment create collective liberation and enchantment. Lex helps witches connect to their power, agency, and magic so they can make magic that makes change. 
They offer tarot readings and folk magical education and can be found online at thelexritchie.com and on Instagram and Twitter at thelexritchie. They are somewhat of a an expert in underworld workings, and that is a huge part of why they are kicking off the interviews for this season. Thank you so much, and welcome, Lex Ritchie. Hello, Lex. Hi. It's so good to have you back on the podcast. I'm super excited to be back. Yeah. So um, I've already introduced you a little bit, and you've already had a... uh, you know, I've already had you on the podcast before, but just like, give me like a three word, three word, three sentence (laughs) pitch or, you know, bio, what do you do? Who are you? Yeah. I am a facilitator of liminal experiences. Um, I like to help. Yes. Spiritual rebels, (laughs) mystical revolutionaries, queer witches, um, nerdy seekers go beyond the conventional and, actually learn to trust their own intuition, make their own maps so that they can be self-guided spiritual explorers. Uh, And I do that through folk magic, spirit work, and tarot. Uh, It's my goal to help folks learn to be in conversations with the beyond in ways that are authentic and true to them. Amazing. I love your work so much. I love my work so much too. (laughs) Genuinely ideal when you like run your own business and work. Yeah, kind of (laughs) necessary. All right. So I'm starting every um, interview this season with the question of what is the underworld to you? And what is an underworld journey? Okay. So the underworld is a lot of things. Um, and I'm not, so let's, let's start with like what the sort of like top line, the underworld is hell. It is the place where you go when you die. It is the land of the dead. It is the land of the spirits of formerly living people. Um, but it's also a refuge of abundance. Like this is the place where all of the composting and all of the decay of life that happens actually creates the abundance that the abundance of life. Um, So these are spaces that while we think of them are as separate and while um, the idea of humans entering into the underworld comes with this underworld journey, they are actually like intimately linked in this like sort of like divine dialectic you know Mm -hmm. like they 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 feed into one another even as we think of them as separate um and the underworld journey very quickly because i'm sure we'll get a lot more into this um is the journey into the underworld and the return because if you do not return from your underworld journey you're just dead right (laughs) um yes so uh obviously I've just got some myths coming to mind. Um, The myth of Persephone, right? Um, And I know that you work with Persephone. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, Inanna, Mm -hmm. um, journeying to Orpheus. Orpheus. And in Norse mythology, I mean, we've kind actually, we haven't really talked about this yet, but I will. Um, The death of Balder, um, happens and he's actually not allowed to leave the underworld until after Ragnarok because he is one of the gods that then like goes on to recreate the world in a better way so um, in a weird way you could think of Balder as also being like an underworld journeyer because clearly he does come back he does return mm-hmm. um, yeah so that's wonderful um, what does I know that you do a lot of different kinds of client work. So what does it feel like as somebody who kind of helps facilitate and helps people understand their underworld journeys? How, how do you do that? What, what, what is that like? Yeah, there, so there's not really one single way an underworld journey can look. Um, 
So the essence, in my opinion, of an underworld journey is transformation. It is something decays so that something new can be born or created or um, manifest. Um, And so that process of transformation of the decay and the release and the creation can feel for the client a lot of ways. Like you might be super sleepy. You might feel like you're finally returning to your true self, or you might feel like something entirely new is being born. Um, And sometimes it feels like a creative or emotional block, especially if you're like resisting it, like you're just running into a wall. You're trying to do things in this old way and you're not letting it decompose. Um, It can feel just super fucking messy. Um, It can be like, like the butterfly in a chrysalis, you know? Um, It's really marked by a nonlinear pattern of like a way of approaching and like, being asked to move in nonlinear ways. And it's also marked by liminality. So if you feel like you're on the edge of something, um, you know, uh, and this is sort of why we think of like the underworld in the fall, right? The autumn is a liminal season. And so we're primed for this type of underworld work then, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But liminal seasons are not, like you can be in a liminal season of your life as you're transitioning from one job to another or one cycle, one stage of life to another, right? Um, Yeah, so these are all things that it like can feel like. Um, And as the person like helping my client through that energy, it's very much about helping them recognize, you know, the because so much about the way we go about our work is linear. It is overworld. It it, it is logical. <laughs> and so much of in the other worlds the opposite of all of that. And so re so much of it is just like reorienting and, and learning to recognize new patterns and the new ways of being that you, that my client is being invited into. Amazing. Um, I like that you kind of talk about like overworld and underworld as being sort of not quite opposites, but opposites in certain ways you know like if the overworld is linear you know like we're trying to live our lives in a logical way um you know that's all fine and good but then when you really need to change and transform that logic is interrupted and it becomes this big like it almost feels like a like you fall into like water and just like everywhere you know like just going everywhere is kind of how it feels to me sometimes yeah yeah I can totally see that Um, yeah, embracing the more fluid aspects of things or even, or yeah, especially if you're like, because in, in sort of like the, how do I want to say this? Um, in astrology and sort of like broadly Hellenistic, like ancient Hellenistic practice, there's this idea of like a hierarchy of, um, of elements, Mm-hmm. And you've got the earth and the water and then um, air and fire brings you closer to like the realm of the gods and divinity. And so like if we we live in a very like air world. And so if you're used to being in an air way, like you might shift into this more like fluid watery way. Or if you're used to like being very action oriented, you might shift, you know, fiery. You might shift into like you're stuck in place and you need to just stop. You know, um, so it brings you down into these like chthonic ways of being. Um, there was something else I wanted to say, but it is just. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. <Goodbye. laughs> yes. So um, I know that you work a lot with Persephone and one of the things that kind of comes back um, when I talk to listeners is that people are interested in um learning more about the mythology. And granted, Persephone is not heathen mythology, but I think that 
the story of Persephone, the story of Hades, um, is a very important one to understand because of the cultural weight that Hellenic texts and myths have. So I would love to just sit back while you retell the story of Persephone. Ooh, okay. I have a couple of different ways that I tell this personally. You can tell both if you want. (sighs) Give me a moment. (laughs) Let me check in with like what wants to come through today. Okay. This is not, this is not canon. (laughs) Um, basically. So, um, this is informed by a couple of different um, modern readings of the Persephone myth. And yeah, this is my queer take on it. Yes. Um, yeah. So yes. I'll cite sources at the end of this. Cool. <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, so Persephone, before she became Persephone, before she became the death bringer, the bringer of destruction, which is what Persephone means, Persephone was Koray. And as Koray, she lived in the world, and which at the time was ever green, ever flowering, ever abundant. The seasons never shifted. It was always warm. The grass was always growing and the corn was always abundant. And she was in a field with her handmaidens gathering flowers. Um, Among the flowers, there were daffodils and tulips. And, you know, it might've been the middle of January. It didn't matter, right? Um, They, these gorgeous daffodils, which are also called Narcissus, um, were, were blooming everywhere. And so with her handmaidens, she was gathering and from the depths, she heard the sorrows of those below as she bent to pick up this beguiling Narcissus flower and She heard their call and knew that there was something more than this ever golden, ever perfect world, which was ruled over by her mother, the green goddess Demeter. And in her heart of hearts, she wished to bring to these people of the underworld, these souls, the fullness of experience, the wonderful blossoming world that she knew. And so Persephone and her grandmother, the earth conspired. They conspired that she would be taken down into the underworld. The earth opened below her and she entered the world of Hades. In Hades, ruled over by Hades, she came to know a world that was in many ways the opposite of the world that she knew, of this ever-expanding, growing, blossoming abundance. She came to know the underground, the underworld, and she found a home there. She formed relationships, and she ate the fruit of the underworld. But her mother, in her sorrow, turned the overworld barren. And this so disturbed both the humans in the overworld who were trying to live their lives And the gods who were like, you know, hey, these humans pray to us, like, what are you doing? Um, (laughs) That eventually um, one of her handmaidens, uh, Hecate, 
told, went to Demeter and let her know, hey, you know, I heard this cry. I heard the earth open up. Let Demeter know of her Corey's plan to enter the underworld and become Persephone. And so Demeter went to the underworld and rescued her daughter. Only Kore had in the underworld in her time, blossoming, expanding, and coming to know herself in the underworld had become Persephone. And so compromise had to be made. And Persephone stays half the year in the underworld and returns half the year to the overworld, bridging these two worlds, bringing the gifts of the underworld to the overworld and the gifts of the overworld to the underworld. And in her yearly travels, she is guided by Hermes and accompanied by Hecate. And together, Hecate and Persephone are the queens of the underworld. They rule the underworld, whereas Hades was just the, you know, like overseer of the underworld. So that is, uh, that's my myth of Persephone. Um, parts of this are informed by my own personal practice. Um, I also want to give credit to, to um, what's the name of this book? Uh, Judy Gronz, Another Mother Tongue, her retelling of the myth of Persephone in that book, as well as, um, what's the name of this book? Mysteries of the Dark Moon by Demetra George. Oh, lovely. Um, thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah. I wanted to ask immediately about um, kind of Hades not being present really in this Yeah, movie. I'm, it's not that he isn't, right? right. But it's not about him. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think that they have other stories that are lovely and like I don't know I there there is a part of this that like you know it ultimately is in my view like a, this conspiratorial thing between Gaia and Hades and Persephone like all three of them mm. um yeah and they all come together in this but like I really want to center Persephone's agency in this um, because like Persephone's agency in this is I think the key to the myth in my view. Although it's not, I don't think like the traditional like rape of Persephone is necessarily wrong. Like it's an understanding, that's one way to, of understanding an underworld journey. Um, but I think as a queer person, as a trans person, like the underworld journey is also a liberatory experience and choosing that experience um, is also a legit choice um, mm -hmm. that can bring so much liberation and self-discovery. Yeah, I really love how um, your retelling of the myth um, sort of focuses on that transformation between of Persephone from Kore to Persephone. Um, and it really resonates on a queer level, right? Of like, okay, she's taken on a new identity. She's taken on a new name. Um, there are all of these things that lead into that. Um, and I also think that speaking as another trans person to a trans person, um, the whole process can feel like a bit of an underworld journey, right? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so like if we're thinking of like, you know, gender as being something that you were assigned at birth, perhaps you were uncomfortable your entire life and couldn't quite name it, but then the naming of it feels like such an intense big moment. And then like, it feels like a very positive underworld journey from that moment that you name it is kind of like going into the underworld. And then like, once you feel really comfortable um, is sort of coming out and returning to the new normal. Yeah. Yeah. And also like as a non-binary trans person, right? Like so often we think of like binaries as oppositional. Right. But if we also think of them as like dualities, there's this important thing in like the myth of Persephone where like she does still 
return to the overworld. You know, like it does still, like these things are not incompatible. They're halves of a whole. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, It's more that it's, it's more that it's coming into balance with the self rather than like falling fully into one extreme over another. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, you know, there's something about this word like balance. Um, so often when we talk about balance, like there's this idea that like, oh, I should perfectly balance right in the middle between the two. Right. But, um, one of my teachers runs out who I believe you'll be interviewing later. Yes. Um, talks about balance as like um, choosing to engage fully with what ought be or like what you're choosing um, or what is. So like, you know, if you're sleeping, you don't want to be like half awake. <laughs> you want to be fully asleep. So then you can balance your awake with your asleep. You right. know? <laughs> right. Yeah. So like choosing to engage fully with the underworld and not like, you know, hang out in the bedrock or something, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That initiation into the underworld is something that I've been thinking about a lot lately. Um, Because as I'm reading, so the first episode of the season, we talk a lot about hell, goddess hell, um, and I connect her with Hagalaz, the rune that is hail, destruction, um, not rain, hail, mm-hmm. not snow, hail. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, oh, really... I like how then like hell is also a destruction bringer. Yes. So hell is kind of badass, honestly. Um, and I get so much into that in the, um, in the episode where I really talk about her. Um, so like she comes through and like, rips away that band-aid of like yeah you you once you have met hell everything is different because her name literally means hidden as well Mm. so something that is hidden is revealed to you when you meet hell yeah and then in the second episode of the season I'm writing about Nauthies and the need fire and one of my teachers um experiences with Nauthies is that it is really associated with the Norn schooled, um, who is the Norn of the future and therefore the Norn of that which should be. Mm-hmm. So like you meet how destruction happens and then your next teacher is, okay, what are your values and how do we, how do we carry those through into yep. the person you're supposed to become? Yeah. Yeah, so much about the underworld journey is about, like, that, like, necessary, but, like, perhaps inconvenient truth. Like, the truth you don't want to see, but, like, is the thing that's, like, going to give you the key to whatever you're, like, stuck in. Yes. Um, yeah, so, I, I don't, yeah, I really like that. Like, um, you, just, you said about the need fire, that which is needful. Oh, you need to be root. like, what are you rooted in? Yeah, like, yes. so... Did, that process like Hagalaz strips away, you know, introduces the the process of decay in a very, you know, not so not so subtle fashion. Like decay and compost is like way nicer than like hail just destroying your shit. Um <laughs> but the, the you Norse know, don't same, play. Same idea. And then and then with the need fire, it's like, okay, what do you what do you gotta have? What is absolutely necessary as you move forward in this journey? Yeah. Um the other thing that I think about a lot um with this, and um listeners may or may not know this, but Lex and I both have a deep interest in interrogating the new age and new age thought. Um more on that later eventually. Um, but one of the kind of like more new agey terms that I find myself using to describe underworld journeys, um, is ego death. Mm -hmm. So like you're shedding a certain aspect of your ego in order to discover like your true values or your true thing that you need to become. And, um, I don't have a great 
alternative to the term ego death. Yeah. Um, but I think yeah. most people kind of know what I mean when I say that. Um, so yeah, I kind of just wanted to touch on that for a moment and see what you have found in terms of either working with clients, personal experience, ego death in the underworld. Yeah, I personally, for a lot of reasons, don't love using a lot of like psychology language. Um, and so I don't really use terms like ego death, but I think when I say things like, um, you know, that necessary but inconvenient truth, or like you feel like you're returning to an authentic expression or the real you, or um, that process of like feeling stuck, and you yeah. just can't like, like that, that's stuck. The thing that's keeping you stuck, that's the ego. Right. I, I would think, right. Like I don't use this language um, for a lot of reasons. Yeah. But like, I'm, yeah, trying to, yeah. I'm trying to find a different way of expressing yeah, it. Yeah. But, and I think that's, that's one that really captures that idea because like I'm using like five different terms to describe this thing that gets captured in that one word, you know? Um, but I think, especially around these ideas, these, the, the getting stuck or like an inconvenient truth um, kind of thing. So much about the feeling stuck is that you've built up this scaffolding. You have this like scaffolding and some of it's yours and some of it's not. And like, you feel like the ego you like and then the like you or the idea of you or your future that like society has built for you has this like individual thing where it's like oh if I tear this down I have to remake the whole thing but it's like the underworld does not work <clears throat> excuse me in this individual way it's not a hero's journey in the world is not a hero's journey um it is not about you um so like when you're releasing things to decay, you're not decaying them. Um, when you are setting things, like setting intentions for your underworld journey or like charting the path of this underworld journey, you're like thinking like, how might I want this to go? It's the underworld is actually like your companion in that mm. like the underworld does not have a linear path like, you do not have to walk all the way from like the shire to the place where they throw the ring in mordor the, mordor <laughs> um, <laughs> like the, if you're like okay i want to go to mordor and you're like hey underworld i want to go to mordor um maybe they'll just open a trap door to mordor right you know like this isn't it you're on a journey but you are not the person who has to do all of the things and like, this is honestly something even I struggle with um, because I'm in this process with my ancestor work where I'm not currently engaging actively with it. Mm. And that's big for me. And it's for like some per like energetic reasons where it's like, you know, we, we need to set a boundary here. And this, the question I'm sitting with is if I don't do the work, does it count? And the answer is, of course it counts because the work gets done. Um, that's what matters. And, um, but that's just not how we are raised to think about these things. Um, and so it's hard to shift to that. Like, this is a collaborative journey instead of like, I am responsible for the whole of this work of this journey. Yeah. I think that's, really interesting and is something that I've been thinking about in my own practice as well lately. Um, <clears throat> because, so I'm in Vulvastav training um, with my teacher, Kari, and Vulvastav is very subtle. Um, like the imagery is really dramatic, but oftentimes the way you feel the work happening in your life is very, very subtle. Mm. Um Basically what a vulva does, and I think I need to do a blog post or something just on like what a vulva is. Um, what a vulva does is they 
are capable of like seeing patterns within the web of weird and getting to the root of the problem. So somewhere in your, you know, ancestral um, weird or your personal orlog, um, there is something that has happened that is bad or wrong. You know, somebody has done wrong, some, somebody has had wrong done upon them. It is the vulva's job to, through, you know, trance or reading or magic, get into that root and begin to heal those threads. Um, and that is a surprisingly subtle practice. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's not, um, you know, doing a lot of big flashy magic. Oftentimes it's much more like trancey things happen in the dream world and you purposefully don't remember your dreams, but you know that something happened. Mm -hmm. Um, There's just kind of a lot of like spooky coincidences that go into it. Um, I forgot where I started with this. Oh yes, but the, the point is, is that the vulva is one part of this entire ecosystem of spirits and beings that work on the web of weird, right? Like mm-hmm. the vulva does not have more power than the norns. <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. the norns do have power to like heal certain aspects of what's going on and the vulva can draw attention to that. Um, mm-hmm. They can assist with that. Um, there are other beings like, you know, like dwarves or elves or, um, you know, other spirits that are invested in the outcome of this healing, but that healing looks really different in that spirit's world. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think that a lot of the language of the underworld can be very, very dramatic. Um, but it doesn't always have to be. If that makes yeah. any sense. Yeah, I think, you know, in some ways, so I, first thing I want to say is I love that this vulva stab work is so animist. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I, I just deeply appreciate that. Like, that has a lot of resonance with my own approaches to spirit work, which is deeply, you know, collaborative and rooted in relationship building and collaboration instead of um like commanding or you know even just like I offer it up to the universe and like if it happens it you know that kind of thing like you know you build the relationships that make the magic that you want to see happen um and then I think okay what was the other thing I wanted to say Rat. You get two Mercurials together. and <laughs> On Mercury's day. Yeah. <laughs> I, I will say, this Mercurial will say, I'm very glad to be out of a Mercury year. I'm into a lunar year. So if I'm a little buzzed out, <laughs> well-deserved, let me tell you. <laughs> I've still got a, way, a ways to go with my Mercury year. So, right. yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm in the like hangover. <laughs> <laughs> I, can't, I, I think that is a very understandable hangover. Uh. Yeah. So uh, let's, um, let's talk about. Um, oh, oh, I remember. Ooh, yes. You were talking about how extreme the language is around the underworld and it doesn't have to be. Yes. And like, yes. And I think one of the reasons like, you know, everyone pull out your anti-capitalist hats. Um, because one of the reasons is, is that like the world we live in, capitalism, hierarchy, patriarchy, uh, white supremacy are all very overworld, like institutions. It's all incredibly linear. Our world is, requires constant expansion, no decay, contraction, and is, you know, the antithesis of all of this. And that is often what a, an underworld journey looks like. And so it 
feels like the end of the world because it is the opposite of everything that is valued and viewed as quote unquote life by the world, the society that we inhabit. Hmm. And like, so it feels incredibly extreme and incredibly dire to embrace an underworld journey because it is the opposite of everything that the world tells you about, like how to go about life. Yes. And I think too, there's this, there's the sort of like lost in translation thing that I think happens a little bit um, with particularly with old myths. Mm-hmm. Um, I know this happens all the time in heathenry where people, you know, don't interpret key aspects of, you know, whatever it is um, or they don't have the cultural context clues for what, you know, this intense imagery actually means. Um, Mm -hmm. So one thing that I kind of pull out and tease out in the Hogwarts episode, for example, right, hail, destructive, like hail wrecks your shit. Like um, it is that horrible kind of slap in the face of all that you have been cultivating. But in other places in the mythical cosmos of you know, the heathen's path, um, Yggdrasil is fed by little white stones, little white Mm. hailstones. Mm -hmm. So without that kind of destruction, change, transformation, without that, like the, the whole Yggdrasil, the whole tree of life cannot sustain itself. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You have to have both. And I especially in my, like, in the way, some of, some of the ways I think about the, the myth of Persephone, um, just as, you know, this isn't necessarily like a direct parallel, but just like what happens when you are committed to only having the growth, only having the expansion, you know, um, like, sure, the golden age when they didn't have the wintertime was great, you know? But also, like, the golden age where they didn't have the wintertime, you know, like, led to this world where the gifts of the dead were not being properly valued, um, which led to this world that became barren because of you know, Demeter's rage. Um, and so it really is about that duality and the need to value all of the gifts of the world. Um, because like, literally, if we didn't have like mushrooms and funguses to decay things, like y'all, the earth is a closed system. Like, right. <laughs> like, you know, like, <laughs> the former science teacher here like we need those things like this is actually in fact vital to life and that death and decay is actually in fact vital to life and it is the idea of like constant expansion and always existing in a perpetual summer of growth and abundance that is at odds with that um i mean on a molecular level too or a cellular level, I guess I should Mm -hmm. say, like constant growth is cancer. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Like it, it leads to illness. It leads. And that I think ties really strongly into capitalism, Mm -hmm. you know, constant growth of capitalism has led to the ailing of our planet, um, has led to destruction, has led to, um, I would even say spiritual, um, ills that we Mm -hmm. are constantly inflicting on one another, um, in the hopes for more, more, more. And one of the things that like underworld journeys show you is no, 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 (laughs) Mm -hmm. you can't have all of this. You, you just can't have all of this. And 
Um, I'm trying to think of, there was something and it's not even like, you can't have all of this. You can't have it all, all the time. Right. Yeah. It's, I'm trying to think of some, another way of kind of putting it is that like the underworld, if we look at an underworld and we kind of are like, okay, like I want to bring my life more into balance. Um, I want to stop thinking. So in such a linear way, I want to stop, um, you know, I want to interrupt my capitalist um, upbringing, my capitalist training. Um, Mm -hmm. Then the underworld is an important teacher. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And um, different paths, different traditions have so many different ways of engaging with the underworld. Um, But the underworld is almost always a teacher. Yeah. Yeah. And like, Absolutely. And this is one reason why I'm like so committed to underworld work and ancestor work um, as being like vital spiritual work right now is because not only are like ancestor work practices and some sort of like underworld myth, like nearly universal. Um, I don't want to like totally universalize this. There might be counter examples or like places where this didn't happen. Um, But like so many cultures throughout the world have underworlds, have stories of the underworld, underworld journeys, and they have ancestor cults. Um, Whatever their specific practices look like, um, these are like things that are worth very, very foundational to the spiritual practices that so many of us have now lost. Um, and it is directly in opposition to like capitalist ways of being. So I think it is an excellent starting place for rebuilding any spiritual practice, like particularly for white people who have lost those ancestral traditions and who are confronting the harms and evils of capitalism and its deeply intertwined systems of white supremacy and all of the other associated systems. Um, These are important tools for confronting that and for building something new that is in opposition and a threat, right? Like that's underworld words are so dire because it's a threat to this way of being that's constantly expanding and always growing. Yeah. And I think that, um, that is at the crux of so much of the work that both you and I do. So how do you recommend people, you know, aside from like booking a reading or, you know, getting kind of help from a spiritual leader around engaging with their own underworld um, processes, you know, what are some practices that you would recommend for people who are interested in kind of shoving themselves into the deep end um, and beginning their underworld journeys? Yeah. Um, I think in some ways the underworld journey like chooses you, you know, Mm. and you'll know when you're in an underworld journey. Um, But then, and you know, on also on some level, we're all in an underworld journey right now. So like with that said, like, I don't know if you can like necessarily like force yourself into one if you're like really not feeling it. Um, But I think there's also (laughs) like this frequency on which like, we're all kind of there. And maybe like, if you tune into like that, it'll get you there. I don't know. Um, but, um, if you are feeling, if you're like, yeah, this is where I'm at and I need to move through this. Um, I think that some of the things that can help are, and this is kind of funny, like what are the repeatable practices that, provide recognizable structure because when patterns break down when things stop being linear you need to start being able to pay attention to non-linear cycles Mm. 
and and it's right like and if you think about like how we do that with the seasons because this is in some ways like our most recognizable nonlinear cycle we do it because we have years of daily data hundreds of years of daily data we have um our lived experiences of paying attention to you know when do the fireflies show up and about when do they disappear in the summertime um when did the first uh violets spring up um and so you need to find a practice that can help anchor you in these new kinds of patterns um that might look like pulling a tarot card a day it might look like journaling every day and like i don't you don't you know some people are like uh journaling like you could do like bullet point journaling like it's just just notice the patterns and start to see what repeats um if it feels like it's coming through in your dreams a lot like start writing down your dreams and see what patterns emerge um and i think finding one friendly spirit to help you navigate it you know um it could be a plant it could so like that could mean like a plant that you grow or that you see every day um I think trees are really excellent conduits to the underworld. So if there is a tree near your house or um, something like that, that could be great. Especially trees that like have edible parts like mm. oak or, um, or linden or hickory. Like these are just, uh, these are some examples that are coming to mind based on where I live. But like, I'm sure, you know, pine is, is another excellent one also you know, has some like good associations, like astrologically speaking for underworld work. Um, but like, because the way that trees like span the underworld and the overworld, um, mm -hmm. they can be really excellent guides and offer some stability in that work. Um, yeah. yeah. Or it could be like a, a deity, like Persephone would be a great example. Um, yeah. Yeah, I feel like Persephone would be a particularly friendly deity to work with because she does inhabit both worlds. Yeah, yeah. And also like, I think the vibe of Persephone generally is very good for... Um, just like modern people generally <laughs> yes. like the, the the vibe is like right there like some of the uh, like you know Hecate can be is liminal but doesn't necessarily like inhabit the overworld in quite the same way um and is much more chronic um, um Hermes is another great guy like and you know here you're you're getting a, a taste of my own like predominantly like you know, Mediterranean, broadly Mediterranean ancestry, but this is, but there's plenty of deities and there's tons of trees, like just pick a tree, whatever tree calls to you, you know? Yes. Yes. I would make a strong case for apple. Mm -hmm. um, yes. Yeah. That one's really important, particularly in Nordic stuff, but um, you can eat the apple, you can you know, gain wisdom, like apples often kind of show up in um, myths about wisdom. Um, mm -hmm. So that one is one that I really love. Um, although I don't have any apple trees near me and it makes me very sad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can always go, you know, apple picking in the fall and yes, yeah, definitely. And apples are very accessible, so they are. They're also like, it's pretty easy to engage with, you know, like apples just like from the grocery store. Yeah. Like they're pretty game. I feel like. Yeah. Um, awesome. I feel like there's probably something else that we should discuss, but I'm mm, having... I don't know, but another tree wants to come through. So birch. Yes. 
Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. How could we, uh, both of us, forget Birch? Like, <laughs> we are clearly on another level right now because I don't know. <laughs> like, honestly, the, like, I include Birch in my Nordic Seas bath tea specifically. Uh, which, like, everyone should get. <laughs> By the way, yeah. it's amazing. Thank you. Series bath teas are amazing. I love making them. I love taking baths. I just, oh, and also like, you know, if you're, if you're feeling watery and you don't like, you know, you were saying like underworld stuff makes you feel watery, you're feeling watery and you don't like it. Like taking a bath is an excellent way to like microdose, like, you know, to like make your like energetic and like physical states kind of align a little bit. Um, yeah, that, that could be like an excellent way to like, kind of like, I'm going to like materially, physically embody a little bit of this underworld energy and say yes to it a little bit. Like that could be a great way to do that. Yeah. I, uh, so there was this thing going around the internet a while back where it was like, self-care isn't just bubble baths. I love a good bubble, you know, like a Mm -hmm. lot of my, genuinely a lot of my self-care is baths. (laughs) Yeah, a lot of my magic is baths. Like, oh, I'm yes. sorry, like uncrossing baths, road opening baths, uh, best thing ever. Yes, love them. Um, and it's such a good way of just like being fully immersed in magic too. Like mm-hmm. it's such a good way of being immersed. Um, awesome. So I know that there are a couple things probably coming up for you this fall. Um, this podcast episode is probably coming out in mid to late August. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, what's next for you, Lex? Yeah. So for, so ooh, mid to late August. Okay. Um, later in the fall, I will, I do um, ancestor tarot readings throughout the year. So if you're like, oh, this ancestor work stuff sounds rad. Um, and you want to get a little closer with your ancestors and start figuring out how you can get in contact with your ancestors and build an ancestor work practice. Those readings are available. And then late October or sometime in November, I will be opening up enrollment for my month long tending radical roots ancestor work course, where we take a radical anti-capitalist approach to ancestor work. Um, And we also, it's, it's open, not just to like, exploring your bloodline lineages, but your ancestors broadly construed. So that could be queer ancestors, your transcestors, um, ancestors of any affinity. Um, yeah, we dive deep into ancestor work as a radical foundational practice for building a better world. I love that. So many juicy things coming up. So yes, absolutely. You should Follow Lex. Um, I got on my I, newsletter. Yes, I, I was about to. Yeah, I was actually about to plug your newsletter for you. Yeah, <laughs> I love my newsletter, and I love that people love it. So yes, <laughs> it's a really lovely, just like weekly note. I don't know, like it's not too long that it feels yeah. like. I call them love letters from the liminal. It's very sweet. I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so oh my god, Winnie, the cat is. The cat says the podcast is done. Yes. <laughs> In an effort to gain my love, she's just been rolling around on my desk, like begging oh, for pets and purring really loudly. That's and cute. That also cats, means... Cats that- are also underworld beings, you know? Like, yes. life happens on their own terms and in <laughs> the wake of their chaos. <laughs> that is certainly true of this cat. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Lex, um, for coming on the podcast, for kind of kicking off the Underworld interviews for this season. Um, And I am so looking forward to what you have up your sleeve. Thank you so much. It's been an honor to talk Underworld with you. Thank you for having me. Of course. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Heathen's Journey podcast. I'm so honored to share these practices, conversations, and thoughts with you. 
If you would like to support this podcast, please consider supporting it on Patreon. The Patreon is designed as a learning and sharing space for fellow inclusive heathens to grow their practices. Every month we have a book club meeting, I share research notes, and episodes without the ads. If you would like to join, you can do so at patreon.com slash heathensjourneypod. Thank you so much for listening, and remember, keep it weird. Thank you.